right, how are we doing? Good, good, good. If you have your Bibles, grab those. The book of James is where we will be this morning. James uh, chapter 1. Also, we're going to let you know that if you uh, like to see things in front of you, want it in front of you, you can follow along on our app. Um, if you don't have that, you can download that. Um, and under worship and sermon notes, you can follow along verses and, and all the different things uh, there. Um, and so I, I'm excited uh, for this morning. I don't know why. Um, I, well, I do know why. It's just, I guess, when you get in God's Word and when you curl up with it and you just allow God's Word and the Holy Spirit to just kind of minister to your heart, to your soul, and allow Him to just kind of, I mean, just feed you with truth, truth that we desperately need. I mean, there's a lot of truth out there, so it would appear, or lack of truth. And so when you really get a hold of something that's good and you get to just curl up with it and learn and grow and feel the presence of God in the midst of you and just just allow that to just, man, encourage and grow and mature you. Um, I guess that's why I'm excited. And that's what God's Word does. Um, and so I wanted to start out with a question, a question that's kind of been on my heart for, for the last few weeks, one I've been thinking of knowing that this Sunday was coming, uh, a question that's um, and just, I don't know, just been stirring in my heart, maybe even in yours. Um, but if I was to ask you this question, how was 2020? Uh, I heard, uh, that's right. How was, what would your response be? And you don't, you don't have to do it out loud, but just, just think inwardly. Like, how, how was 2020? How would you rate it? And, and like, what system upon which do we judge it? Like, one to ten? Good to Bad? extremely bad I mean I don't know like what system would we even begin to use or to begin to think about if if we were going to rate 2020 I mean all 365 glorious days of this past year that we are vastly approaching uh, the end of I mean how would you rank it and it really it may depend upon like what uh, area of your life like, like maybe certain areas would get a better score than other certain areas like maybe like your personal life would get maybe a slightly higher score than maybe uh, your professional life or, or your job life or, or maybe even you would rate your family life a little different as a result of. And so that's what's crazy. There's so many different, I guess, facets within that question that we could even break down and look at and even try to think about whenever we're going to rank how this past year was. And so my hope this morning, my desire this morning for us is this, is to show us from the scriptures, all right? From God's word, not man's opinion, not some philosopher's thoughts or the, the news or, or the latest data. But, but my hope is from the scriptures this morning is to show you how this was probably your best year ever. I know, you think I'm crazy. I did too until you get into God's word and it does that to you. But, but I want to show you from God's word how this was probably the best year ever. And even in the trial and the struggles of this year, God was using this year to accomplish something far greater than you could ever imagine. Far, far greater than you could ever imagine in the struggles and the trials of this year. And so with suffering and struggles and difficulties, what it does is it, it exposes, doesn't it? It exposes our inner self. It exposes things that we value and love more than other things. It, it, it brings about a greater awareness. So when trials come, we almost cannot help but to hold our hearts in a way where others can see. Uh, you, you maybe have heard it like, man, they wear their heart on their sleeve. I mean, there's, there's a number of ways when difficulties hit us, things come after us that, that, that exposes and we show. Like some sufferers, uh, they'll bow their head and they'll bless the Lord while others curse him. You'll have some say through the tears, man, I, I trust you, while others will refuse to pray. I mean, some will collapse into God's presence and lean in on him and love him with a broken heart, while others will turn their back and walk away. 
Right? There's many different responses. And so my thought was, my question this morning is this, what makes the difference between those that suffer? Why are all the responses everywhere? And we begin to think that there may be a factor, a certain factor that determines that. And I would say that there is. I say that the one that is most significant is knowing what suffering really accomplishes. Knowing what difficulties really do. And so James this morning is going to make light of it. He's going to uh, enlighten us on what that means and what happens in that. The Apostle James is where we're going to be. James chapter 1. The Apostle James, this is Jesus' half-brother. And so he's penning this letter. And as he pens this letter, um, he's writing to Christians who are torn by trials. And I would even venture to say, I would feel very confident in saying that, that the trials that they face, the difficulties that they face in their day as James pens this to these believers in this day, it is far different than the trials that we faced in 2020. Far more difficult and, and life-threatening and, and, and a ton of, of, of other things that are coming for these believers in these trials. And as he pens this letter, he is calling them to suffer faithfully because of what they know. And I just believe that this will help orient our heart all the more around God's truth, God's reality of, of what could be accomplished from a great year like 2020. And I know that seems like an oxymoron to say that 2020 was a great year. But I believe it could have possibly been our best year ever. Let's pray and let's see what God will do with us this morning. Father, we love you. Jesus, we need you. God, I feel like a fool saying that 2020 was a great year. God, but I believe whenever we orient our heart around your word and we get a greater understanding and we get to feel the depth and the scope of what you are doing behind the scenes, Father, I believe in all confidence we can say with, with what James has pinned in the pages of your word this morning, we can say that with confidence. That we can land in a place where we experience true joy, even in the difficulties and sufferings. And Father, I, I don't want to say that lighthearted this morning. I, I, don't, I don't want to joke about this. As I know, for many, 2020 was a horrific year. Lives were lost. Businesses have failed. Anxiety and struggle is at an all-time high. And so, Father, I, I don't say it lightly. So, Father, my prayer, my desire, my hope for those in this room this morning, those who are watching online, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would just fall heavy in their presence, in our presence, Father, and that you would start to do a work in us to give us a greater understanding and perspective of who you are and what you're trying to accomplish. And God, even in the struggle and difficulty, God, there can be glory found. So Father, do a work in this place this morning, I beg of you. And then we pray, amen. I mean, James chapter one, verse two, we'll just jump right in and get this thing going. It says this, this is what James pins. He says, count it all joy. So I just need to push pause here because again, in our world, in our day, there, uh, our, our, I guess our culture hijacks certain things from us uh, and, and it, it dilutes what meaning of words are and it, it just messes with and it, and it just uh, uh, fuzzies and muddies the water. And so when he says here, count it all joy, uh, the tendency is to get happiness and joy confused. To get happiness and, and joy uh, interchangeable, but they're not. When you see the word joy here in the scriptures, it, it brings about a very, very different meaning than just happiness. See, happiness is based upon feeling. It's a based upon uh, emotion. And I would even venture to say that happiness is a, is a very shallow type emotion. I'll give you an example real quick. Um, and I know I usually kind of use this illustration always. And so I get to kind of use it again in a different way. And so my alma mater last night, we got a primetime TV slot on ESPN as Liberty University Flames got to take on Coastal Carolina. 
ESPN, 7.30, we're doing this thing, like I'm, like I'm geeked out, like I'm ready to go, because usually like Liberty, TV, Liberty Football doesn't make it on primetime TV, like you got to get like some of those backwoods channels and like get the bunny ears and, and, and the, and the um, saran, not saran wrap, but the, um, the other stuff that's, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, but, and you got to like, like stand on one foot and jump, and, and then you can kind of maybe get, get some of the football game. But they made it prime time, and I am watching, and they come out like crazy, 14 to nothing, and I'm like, yes, we're going to win a bowl. This is awesome. And so we, the game continues to go on, and so they make it a game, and we get down to the end, and usually this is where like we lose it or we blow it, or my teams, that's just how it this traditionally goes for me. Um, and so like I'm happy and excited, I'm just loving the moment, and then we get down to the end of the game. And there's like 40 seconds left, and we're trying not to score, right? Sounds kind of anti-football, but you don't want to score because you don't want to give them too much time. And so they're trying not to score, and the first play, he doesn't score. I'm like, yes, we didn't score! And then the next play, he goes to try not to score, and they're pulling him into the end zone. And what did he fumble? You don't fumble on the one-yard line. And so I'm devastated. I'm like, are you kidding me? And there's 40 seconds, which is plenty of time for, for Coastal, if you've watched this game, for them to march down the field and beat us. Because this is normally what happens to my teams. And so in that moment, I go from like the happiest guy on planet earth to I'm falling apart. Like I'm stripped the kids scholarship, fired the coach. Let's get the buses warmed up. We'll just head back to Lynchburg. It's done. It's over with. They end up not scoring. I'm like, okay, this is good. There's hope. We get the ball first. And as we get the ball first, it's third and five. And then we take a sack. And I'm like, oh, okay. We're still in field goal range. And then they get a delay of game. How do you get a delay of game in overtime? What are you doing? Like, I'm ticked. Like, I want everybody fired. I want them gone. There's no way he'll make it because it's five yards further now. I mean, I know we're like God's team, right? Liberty, like fire on the mountain, let's do this. I mean, like, we're, the flames, I mean, like, we got God's favor on us, I would think. Christian University. And what happens? He kicks the field goal and makes it. Okay. But you know what's going to happen with Coastal? They're going to score. They score touchdown, it's over, we lose. And so I'm just like negative Nancy in this moment. I'm falling apart. And I'm, I mean, at one point I was excited. Now I'm just like, oh, it's over. I mean, I know we've kicked a field goal and that was great. And Mayor's over here like screaming at me as I'm screaming at them. And you know what happens? We block the field goal. Oh, sweet mercy. There is a God in heaven. But I'm just like, in that moment, the, the, the flood of emotion that I felt, I was everywhere. I, I, I was all like, well, I love Liberty, and then I can't, I can't believe I even went to school there. And then I loved them again. And it's just like, like that's the emotional thing of, of happiness. That's what it looks like. But joy, church, joy is so much different than that. It's not based upon circumstances or situations. Joy is rooted in the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. So it's James pins this letter and he says, count it all joy. That's what he's talking about. This deep-seated contentment and, 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 and joy that's rooted in the reality of who Christ is. And nothing can strip us from that. Nothing can take that from us. Nothing can draw us away from that. There is deep-seated joy and contentment and gladness in the reality of who Christ is and what he's done for us. So he tells the believers here, count it all joy, my brothers. It's a term used for those who are born-again followers of Jesus. That's who James is pinning this letter to. And I say that because the reality is this, the world does not have a framework or tracks to run on when, whenever it, we deal with this type of stuff that we're going to deal with this morning. I mean, this is deep, heavy, weighty stuff that James is writing to believers. Deep, heavy, hard stuff. So the way that we as believers look at and process certain things is much different. We've got a different framework upon which it's built. 
The world doesn't count it a joy when they go through certain things. But James says for us as believers, we should. Why? Because we understand the working of trials and difficulties and struggles in our life to be producing and doing something far greater for us. The world doesn't get that and understand. There's more to it than just what we see and what we feel in the moment. God is trying to accomplish and work something far greater. And so he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And so when he has the word trials here, it's just troubles. It's something that breaks the pattern of peace. Something that breaks comfort in our life. That's what he's talking about. Anything that can break peace or break comfort in our life. In its original language, the verb form here means to put someone or something to the test with the purpose of discovering that person's nature or the things of its quality. What kind of quality is it? That's what it means. Let's discover and put to test and discover that nature of that person. So when we go through trials, when we go through tribulations, when we go through struggles, it's, it's our, our nature is being put forth. We're getting to see and experience and understand something at a deeper level. My question for you is, have you ever, have you ever looked at your circumstances and situations through those lenses? Have you ever thought about it in that light? See, sometimes we like to over-romanticize people in the scriptures but see, the believers here in the book of James, as he writes to the believers, they didn't know how many, uh, how many trials they would go through. They didn't know the specific goods that God was working in them in these trials and difficulties. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you don't understand or know why God's allowing certain things to happen in your life while certain trials are going on in your life, while certain difficulties are plaguing you, all the junk and the stuff that maybe you've went through here in 2020. Maybe you don't, you don't know why he's doing or what he's trying to accomplish. Well, they didn't either. They didn't have a clue why these trials would be happening. Probably much like us, we don't have a clue why. Nor did they know how long that these trials would last. They didn't understand. They didn't know. I mean, I know, I've heard this. I mean, I can't wait for 2021 to get here. I, I just can't wait. And then, and then I've even seen like the whole thought of, man, man, if 2020 is this bad, 2021, there's no way. But like you do understand it can get worse. Whatever worse is, I mean, bear bad news this morning, right? Jesus loves you. Yeah. See, but for the believer, it, it can't get worse. Why? Because our joy is rooted in who Christ is. Not what the day brings. Not the news that we get. Not whatever flashes across our screen. I had a professor in college and I just, I, I thought I loved it until you kind of get in the middle of stuff and then you don't love what they say and then after you kind of grow and mature, you go, okay, I, I, I like it. But he made this comment once in class and he said, Man, for the believer, there's no such thing as bad news. And only updates on God's will for your life. And that sounds good and peachy and great when everything's going good and smooth and like it should. And when everything's falling apart and there's struggles and there's difficulties, man, when we hear that, it doesn't bring about a warmth and contentment. But when we look at it through the scriptures like what James is penning here, man, we, we can get a greater understanding See, they know a simple promise that follows these tough words of James. They're familiar and they understand and they know what James is saying. They, 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 can, they can gather and they can look at the things that he has penned. 
And so I guess my whole thought is this, well, why trials? Why difficulties? Why do we have those? Why do we get those? Because what do they do? They expose, do they not? They reveal. That's what happens. Comfort and ease brings with it a complacency and self-reliance. And Christ doesn't want us at that place. He doesn't want us comfortable in, in that sense of where we get complacent. No, he wants us hungry and desiring and longing for. He, he doesn't want us in that place where we get, just check out, where we become self-reliant. Oh, I can do it myself. I've, I've done it myself. I've worked hard. He doesn't want us at that place. He wants us totally dependent upon him. Th that's what he wants. That's what a relationship, that's what maturity and growth looks like is a continual pressing in on Christ, a continual reliance upon him. Man, and how gracious and good is he to give us those opportunities to point us back to that reality. See, I think the, 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 the struggle is this, is that we come to love stuff far more than we love the creator. We love the things that he's created so much more than we love him. And you really want to see how aggravated we can get or how frustrated we can get at trials and struggles. I believe the reason that that happens is because we've put way too much love on stuff. The things that he has given and not enough devotion and love and desire for the one that has given it. And so he goes on in verse 3 and he says this. He says, As for, uh, he says, uh, for you know that the testing of your faith. And so as he uses this phrase here, this testing, the image in the original language is that of metalworking, of working with metal. So just as silver and gold, they're refined in the furnace. So we as Christians, we're refined. We're tested how? By our trials. And so James here, the word that he uses for testing, it points to the fact that, that they're not random or pointless tests. They're not random or pointless uh, trials. Instead, they come from our tester. Who's that? That's God. He gives us those. He allows us to go through those. Well, so it'll point us back to him. And he does it because he's good, because he's loving, he's kind. I don't know about you, but, but my prayer every year is this, is God, do whatever you have to do in my life to help me love you more. To help me desire you more. And that is the most spiritual, great prayer you can ever pray. Filled with the most fearful, scared to death prayer you'll ever pray. Because if you mean that, and you pray that, and you ask God to do whatever he has to do to cause you to fall more in love with him, to cause you to be more desperate for him, to cause you to desire him far above anything else, then he is loving and gracious enough to do it. And so what that means for me when I pray that, that there is no area in my life that's not off limits to him. When you pray that in your life, there is no area off limits for him. And I don't know if you struggle like I struggle, but there are things in my life that I absolutely adore and love. I mean, I've got a family. I don't want God touching them. Okay, God, help, do, help me fall more in love with you and desire you far above anything else other than my family. Oh, and, and I've got a church that I love coming to and a place that I love to... God, help me love and desire you far above anything else other than my family, uh, other than uh, the church that I go to and the place that I serve at, uh, other than, oh, God, I love golf too. I like it. Oh, God, God I, like, I like this over there. Oh, God, I feel most comfortable. So, so God, if, if you could just, if you could do whatever you need to do to help me love you and desire you and long for you more other than like touch this stuff. But that's not the prayer that we need to pray prayer that we need to pray is one with an open hand. Got any area of my life, kids, other yours, if you so see fit to take them this year, God, I pray that that's not it, but if that's what you need to do in my life to draw me closer to you. My wife, 
my house, my job, my whatever it is, whatever I find. So I think stability and security above you, then God do it. Why would we ever pray that? Is that not, I mean, why would we ever say those kind of things? We would pray that because we understand who we're praying to. We would pray that and say that because we understand the creator of the universe is far greater than my kids will ever be. It's far greater than my relationship my wife will ever be. It's far greater than any job I could ever hold. It's far greater than any amount of money that I could ever have in the bank. Like he has offered me salvation. He has made me right when I was broken. When I was sinful and wicked and at my worst, he has fixed and made me whole and pure. Why would I not want him more than anything else in this world? As much as I love stuff, as much as I love people, as much as I love things, that's where we need to land. That's where we need to get to. And the way that we get there is when we understand the scope and the weight of this verse. And look is what God desires to do in this testing for us as James continues here in three because he wants to produce, he wants to, to make, he wants to reveal, he wants to cause a particular result to come to be. That's what he wants to do in us. In this testing, in this trials, in these difficulties. So God allows things to break the pattern of peace and comfort in our life to prove and increase the strength and quality of our faith all the while showing us validity. That's what he does. That's how good he is. So often in suffering, we have eyes only for what's happening in our trials and how uncomfortable it makes us. Instead of trying to look through that, instead of trying to look through the difficulty, instead of trying to get our eyes off of the circumstances or our eyes off of us, look to the greater purpose that's at hand. I mean, I know that takes time. I know that there's struggle in that. What I would say is don't waste those opportunities Don't waste the difficulties. Don't waste the sickness. Don't waste the struggles. Don't waste the trials. Don't waste the the, the hardships. Because what I've learned in my journey is in those moments is where you find the sweetest, sweetest time with the Savior. In the hell that we face on earth is where we have the opportunity to crawl up in the arms of the Father and allow him to love on us and, 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 and care for us and orient our heart all the more to the great purpose that he has for us even in those difficulties. See, so often in suffering, we only have eyes for what our trials takes away from us or how uncomfortable it makes us. That, that's what we look to. We have to do the difficult work even through the trials to get our eyes off of us. Look to that greater purpose. Look at, the, look at what's at hand Look at what's taking place. See, but with God's help, we can land at that place where we see the purpose in what he's doing. Where we can see that purpose in what he's doing. And look at what's produced through all of this. Steadfastness. That's what we get. We get steadfastness. When we struggle well, when we do all that, this is what's produced in us. He says steadfastness. Steadfastness in its original language is endurance. It's perseverance. You've heard this saying, haven't you? Uh, it's not, a, it's not a, um, a sprint that we're in, but it's a marathon. See, a sprint's just a short period of time. The gun goes off and you have this little short distance that you're going to travel and you're going to go as fast as you can, as hard as you can for that moment. That's a sprint, but that's not what life is, is it? No, no, it's a marathon. 
I mean, we're long distance. We're, we're, we're training for endurance. That's what we have. It's not the quick hit. No, it's, it's, a, it's a long ways. So what's the opposite of endurance? It's giving out, right? When faith doesn't endure, what happens? It gives out. When it doesn't endure, it gives out. So, so if we don't want our faith to give out, then what needs to happen? We need to have trials. We need to have struggles. We need to have difficulties. See, I think one of the wrong thinkings or the wrong mentalities is this, and I, I would even venture to say that, that maybe most believe that faith endures in spite of trials, not because of trials. And there's a great difference in that, enduring in spite of trials. So it endures even though difficulties come, it endures, we just work harder, we just uh, uh, muscle in, we just do whatever. No, 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 it's because of trials, that's why faith endures. Because it's in those trials that we're strengthened. It's in those trials that we get to be reminded of the one that's got it. It's in those trials that we get to, to, to exercise and, and, and work on endurance. But see, we feel threatened when troubles come. Why? Because we like comfort and ease. Well, just last week, I preached grace upon grace. And we talked about grace upon grace. And who doesn't want grace upon grace? Yes. Give me double, double grace every time I go through the buffet. If there's a grace option, double me up. Hey, give me some gravy on that grace. I'll take it all day long. But it seems like this is the opposite. But, but church, hear me, it's not. Because if we pray that prayer, God, do whatever you have to do. In God's good grace and God's good mercy, then he's going to do whatever he's got to do to get us to that place where we love him more than anything else. We desire him more than anything else. So but we feel threatened, don't we? Whenever our comfort and ease is put on, on attack. And so I just even think of like the disciples. I, I, like there's a story in the scriptures where the disciples are walking along and there's, there's Jesus and they come to this guy who's, who's born blind and he's sitting at the gate and they ask Jesus that question, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his family? And Jesus responds to him, I mean, neither. This isn't a result of somebody's sin. No, this is the result of God's good grace. How could you ever say because of God's good grace somebody's born blind? How could you ever say that? But Jesus says that. Because God is about to work and do something far greater in this man as a result. And so our heart, our desire should be, God, do whatever you have to do to help us love and desire you far more. And so Jesus is pointing to, Jesus is showing them in this moment that God has got a plan, that God has got a purpose. See, we struggle, the American church, Christians today, struggle to think that God will allow something difficult to happen because we're his. Like we think because we belong to him, he owes us something. We deserve something. Like Jesus, you don't, do you not understand what I've done for you? I mean, my goodness, I'm up at 10 o'clock at a service. And if we're super spiritual, we'll get here at 9 o'clock for discipleship development. Oh, and by the way, when we have Wednesday night services, I'm there for that. Oh, by the way, whenever the, pay, the, the place passed or the boxes are on the walls, I'll throw something in there. Oh, God, by the way, I have a quiet time. Do you not remember that I prayed twice today? That I've talked to you? God, do you not understand? I have that little fish symbol on the back of my car to show the world how much I love you? God, I've done all of that for you. I don't watch certain TV shows now because of you. And when I cuss, I don't say the real big ones, just the small ones. And I always ask you to forgive me after I do it. And we think because we've done something, God owes us something. Church, I've got news for you. God owes us nothing. We have no leverage as it pertains to God. Because if so, then it wouldn't be grace. 
If so, if we had something we could hold over him, or we could barter with him, or we could bargain with him, it would no longer be called grace. It'd be something that we've earned, something that we've done, and it's the opposite of grace. It's because of God's grace. And so we think and we feel because we've done certain things that God owes us or God should do something for us. And then the reality is this, the only thing that God owes us is judgment and damnation. Wrath. That's what he owes us. But thank God he sends his son to take that for us. So if God never gives us another thing, never does another thing for us, he's already done too much by sending his son. Never gives us another thing. He's given us the best heaven has in his son, Jesus. So church, hear me. Faith becomes deeper and stronger. How? Through trials. Faith comes deeper, grows deeper and gets stronger when we go through trials, when we go through those difficulties. And when we see in those moments that God is walking right with us hand in hand, arm in arm, that he is in the midst of the struggle and the difficulty and the uncomfortableness and their aggravation and the heartache. Man, when we see and recognize that he is there in the middle of that with us. See, the whole thought of trials is putting something to the test. It's disrupting its current state. That, that's, that's what it's all about. And that's what God's going to do for us because he loves us. Because he wants our faith to be tested. Why? So that we will we'll prove that we're his. So that we'll show that we've got endurance. So that all of those things. Like, like this chair is, is minding its own business doing what chairs do. Just standing there. Sitting there. Hanging out there. Doing nothing. But, but when something comes along and disrupts its state. Like there's many different uses for a chair. It may just be a leaning. Like, like this isn't too bad. The chair seems to be doing okay with it. Hanging in there. Just doing its thing, just being a chair. It's not complaining, it's not whining about because it's got a few extra pounds leaning on it. And then sometimes, I mean, there's other little trials and things that come the chair's way. And, and if you don't know, like the chair's us. And it may start to lean this way and get a little bit more weight on it because you, you want to get more comfortable as you're trying to look cool on the screen and talk to your people this morning, right? So this is a cool way to look and hang out. Add a little bit more weight to it. We can get a little lean if we need to. And man, I don't know about you guys, but like I am just wore out up here. So then sometimes we'll do what the chair's made for. And what we do, we're going to set in the thing. We're just hanging out here. We're just doing our thing. Just chilling, just talking a little bit. Minding our, the chair's just doing the chair's thing, right? It's just sitting here. It's just hanging out. And my big old rear end decides to sit in it. The trial and the struggle of that comes. And then if you're like my kids, you got, you got, you, I mean, there, there is no just sitting in a chair. Like you plop in a chair if you're a kid, right? Because that's the cool thing to do. And you get that extra weight going. I mean, that trial that it faces, that it goes through. And then there's sometimes these kind of trials and struggles that come that are kind of more like this. I don't know why it seems heavier, because my whole weight is on it now, not just my rear end and the top half of me. And so now it's got the trials, it's got the struggles of this to deal with. And, and I don't know about you, but, but maybe this, this would be your year, this would be your past few years. It's not just that, but it's, it's more kind of like this. Maybe that's kind of like what the year's been about or how it's felt or all those trials and those struggles and the hurting and all oh, the stuff's coming at me. But look what happens to it. I mean, other than just every once in a while just needs a little dusting off, a little Miss Donna special. And, and the way we get that is through God's word. 
right? Through other fellowship, through other believers coming, linking in with us, caring for us, checking on us, asking questions, praying for us, all of those type of things that happens and takes, takes on with us. And that state that was disrupted, look at it. I mean, it's fine. It's good. It's ready for some more. See, it's been tested. It's been tried. And what has it done? It's shown itself faithful. So church, when we go through those difficulties, whether it's just a leaning, whether it's just a trial like this, or just a little struggle maybe like this, or whether it's full on, seems like all hell has been released on us this year, this month, this season, this whatever, whatever it may be. When we go through this, when we realize and understand what's holding us up is God himself, what does that do to our faith? What does that do to our faith? Man, I don't know about you, but I can remember early on in my ministry, it didn't end well the first few years at the first church I was at. And man, I, I could just remember as awful as it was when I got through that, looking back and seeing how faithful and good God was, and I was, I was ready to take on hell with a water pistol. Bring it, I mean, not even super circle. I'm like talking like, like the 25 cent ones. Let's bring it. Like I'm, I'm ready to go. Why? Because what I went through, what I've seen, how faithful God has been, how good he's been, the testing of my faith did what? It just made me stronger. It just did more for me than I could ever imagine. That's what I want. I want, I want that. I want, I want the strength that God provides. I want the endurance that God brings about. Not when I'm doing it myself, not when I'm trying myself. But, but when God is sustaining, when God is holding, and what he does is in that as difficult and as awful as those years were, man, God revealed some stuff about Scott. Man, the arrogance and the pride that I had in my, in my heart and my life as a young, arrogant little punk coming out of college that thought he knew everything about everything. I mean, the more I went through those struggles and those trials, the quicker I realized I didn't know nothing about nothing. I don't care what that paper on my wall said. And it wasn't until I really dove into the Word of God and spent time with Him and had that intimacy with the Savior that I realized, and now I'm ready to go. Not in an arrogant way, but in a gracious and grateful way. Because those trials proves my faith and its endurance, and it gives me confidence, not in me, but in Christ. Understanding and knowing that He's got me, that He's going to walk with me, that He cares for me. That he loves me far more than any, anything that I can even imagine and dream of. And though it looks like he's being hateful and mean, really all he's doing is being gracious and kind. And he's revealing things in me, showing me my great need for him. So bring on 2021. Whatever comes with it. If I need to be tested, if I, whatever I need, whatever trial or whatever struggle... Because I have seen and I have experienced the one that holds me up. And I am secure in that and I am fine with it. So if we'll just trust God and wait patiently, our trials will give us far more than they take. They'll give us far more than we take. Look, look at verse 4 as we close out. And let steadfastness have its full effect. So, so what's produced in us is this steadfastness. And so what James is saying is, is let that have its full effect. Let us have it full take that you may be perfect and complete. 
oh, church, who doesn't want perfect and complete, right? But see, perfect and complete here carries with it this weight and this thought of spiritual maturity. And so the way that we respond and, the, and treat those difficult times, what it does is just gives evidence of where we're at spiritually, where we're at on this journey to maturity. And how do we test where we really are spiritually as it goes with maturity? What's revealed in us shows where we're at. And I would venture to say that we probably think that we're further along than we really are. It's the reason we don't like these. We definitely don't like this. We don't care much for this. We might be able to stand for just a day or so this, but we prefer this. And really, if we had our say, we would much rather that just happen over here to somebody else. Let us pray for them. And see, what that does is it proves and it shows us where we need to work, where we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to draw us, to help us, to mature us, to change us, to fashion and deform us all the more to the image of Christ, to show us those areas. See, it's in the trials and the struggles that God shows us where we really need to grow and he allows us to be able to assess our heart. The very thing that we love and desire the most will be revealed in those trials and those struggles. And the more aggravated and the more frustrated we get at them, the more probably our heart and our love and our desire and our devotion is in the wrong place and, and not focused on the right thing. That's what it does. That's what happens. Shows us where we need to grow. So in every trial from heartache to heartbreak, God wounds his children while only to heal them. He casts them down only to raise them up is what Isaiah says. He sends his flames only to leave them refined. Why does he does that as the band comes back up? Because he says this because he wants us lacking in nothing. He wants us perfect and complete doing what? Lacking in nothing. See, God desires us to lack nothing. And that means that we as his people always have a desire and a longing for him that's unmatched by anything else in this world. And a desire to mature and grow all the more regardless of the circumstances. See, that's what real maturity is, is we never settle, we're never satisfied. Like, like I used to think, man, when, when, I get, when I get into my 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and then I'll all have arrived until one day I had the opportunity to talk to somebody in their 90s. This godly man at a church conference. And, and we're sitting in one of these breakout sessions and he's up there and he's just talking a little bit and it's kind of just a Q&A. I'm mean, like, who's this? guy there's no credentials next to his name he's not a big name dude but as he begins to talk and he begins to share of his hunger and his desire for the Lord and his, I'm thinking what the heck do you struggle with in your 90s and he begins to share what he struggles with complacency not being hungry getting lazy you're, you're 90 you deserve to be lazy he says man I never want to be satisfied I never want to be content I never want to be okay where I'm at. I always want to grow more in my relationship with Christ. I always want to desire more in my relationship with Christ. He said, I don't want to waste my life and check out. I don't want to give up and stop just because I'm 90. Man, God, God has got a plan and a purpose for me. And I don't want to just stop and check out and quit. Do you know when I'll be finished, he said, is when the Lord calls me home. That's when I get a rest. When the Lord calls me home, then I'll get a rest. He says, but until then, man, trials and struggles and tribulations, whatever it may be, whatever God sees fit to bring in my life, because he knows me best, he knows what I need. 
So church, if we know the promise that the testing produces steadfastness, church, may we gain strength to endure our suffering. May we set an anchor and trace that line from our present pain to our future perseverance and in that count every trial as joy. Church, may we recognize our suffering for what it is. It's not a thief who steals our best years. It's not a murderer who kills our dearest dreams. It's not a madman who wields his weapons at random. No, our suffering is rather a servant from God sent to make us steadfast and complete. That's what it is. He wants to see us mature and grow all the more in our faith. So as 2021 sits in wait for a few more days for us, regardless of what it throws, and may we look at the trials and the struggles and the difficulties as opportunities for our growth, for our maturity in Christ. And may that bring about a joy that deepens in us knowing that Christ is accomplishing something far greater than we could ever dream of. So may when we get to the end and we ring in that new year to look back at 2020 and say, God, thank you for that blessing. And thank you for one heck of a year. I, 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 mean, I mean, look, look around. We've... We've never had this less amount of people in this place. We've, we've never had that. We've never not been able to do something. We've never, all of the struggle and the stuff that we faced. But if you look back, we're starting a dang after school ministry in the middle of a pandemic. Eat that, Satan. I mean, who does that? God brings about somebody and puts on their heart in such a way that they're just going to give $100,000 to? Who does that? I mean, we've had people saved this year. Here in a few weeks, we're going to have a, a big baptism. We've got some, some, some kids here that's given their life to Christ and come to faith in Jesus. And we're going to celebrate like crazy here in a few weeks what God's done in them. And we're going to baptize. I mean, God's been faithful. God's been good. The lights are still on. God's still, we're still, people are being faithful in giving. People have been faithful in serving. Some of the things that we're working on this coming year for missions and outreach. We're going to give more to missions this coming year than we've ever in the whole life of our church. Man, 2020 has been a heck of a year. I hope 2021 is just as good, if not better. And whatever God's got to do to show us, to help us, to, to shape us and mold us into the image of His Son, then God bring it. Because what I know, what I've learned is that you're going to hold me and you're going to sustain me and I'm going I'm to be better for it. So may God encourage you and love on you knowing that the men and women in this room and some that aren't even here this morning because of the things that they've gone through and the family members that they've lost and the struggle that's happened in their life, man, don't lose heart. Whatever you do, don't lose heart. And know that there is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God of the universe, the God of creation, loves you enough to allow you to go through whatever it is that you need to go through to point your attention, your affection, your devotion to Him. And may you walk in that. And may you understand that when you go through difficulties, trials, and struggles, it's not because He's mean and unloving, but it's because He's a good Father and He cares about us more than we could ever imagine. I mean, what kind of a dad would I be if I just let my kids get whatever they want whenever they want it, act however they want whenever they want to act, do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it? That's not loving. That's awful. So as a dad, I'm going to kind of help navigate. I'm going to kind of put certain things in their life to kind of point them away, steer them away, do certain things to them. And whenever I need to step up in discipline, I'm going to step up in discipline. So if we look at things through those lenses and understand that God is trying to work and do something far greater than us, we can land at the place where James is encouraging those believers of that day. And when trial and difficulty and struggles come, just know 
there's an endurance that's being produced. There's a steadfastness that will come forth. And as a result of it, you'll be better. You'll be closer to Jesus, looking more like him and less like you. And church, that's what we all need. So may 2021 be just as great as 2020, if not better. And I'm not talking about things that come our way. I'm talking about a perspective and a heart that is unmatched for Christ. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for this morning. God, it's hard, difficult words that we've looked at in in your scriptures. So Father, I pray that you would give us the grace and peace to, to walk in that. God, that your Holy Spirit fall heavy upon our heart and help us to understand all the more what you truly mean and what you've truly said. And God, may we land at that place where we count it all a joy. God, help us be joyful even in the difficulty, even in the struggle, even in the trials. In your name we pray. Amen. If you guys would stand, the altar's open. If you want to come pray, I'll be here. If you want to know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, if you need somebody to pray with you, count it an honor to do that. But you respond as God leads.